0: struggle to say no to things? Do you want to set boundaries and create limits around your work, your availability and your time, but you feel terrible when people don't get it or don't like it? Do you beat yourself up when people aren't happy or criticise you, even when you know it's not your fault? And does this sometimes make you feel helpless and like you have no choice? This week, the tables are turned And Dr. Sarah Coop, GP coach and medical educator, joins me on the podcast to interview me about what I've seen and learned through the COVID pandemic about workload, setting boundaries and dealing with criticism through chatting with guests on the podcast, delivering our Shapes Toolkit resilience and productivity training and coaching doctors. And we discuss some of the deep seated reasons why we might be reacting so badly and why it's hitting a raw nerve. We chat about why recognising our limits and enforcing our boundaries can be so uncomfortable and difficult, and how we can find ourselves ping-ponging between the rescuer and the victim mentality by either taking too much responsibility or taking not enough control over our situation. So listen to the episode if you want to find out why the stories in our heads may be increasing our stress and exhaustion, how to tell when the boundaries you've set are working, and some better and simpler ways to deal with public criticism and private disapproval. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris. I'm a GP now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout, we have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly notice the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances and if you're happier at work you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. So it's brilliant to be on the podcast today with Dr. Sarah Coop. Now Sarah um, is a senior medical educator at Medical Protection Society. She has a background as a portfolio GP and is a very experienced trainer, educator appraiser, you name it, I think you've done it. Is that right, Sarah? Yeah, I've done a mixture of things in my portfolio career, Rachel. So yeah, great to be here with you today. And uh, I think this is going to be a slightly different podcast today. Is that right? <laughs> I think I have persuaded you to let me interview you today, Rachel. So yeah, that's the aim of today's podcast. Oh, good grief. Okay, well, let's let's see how this goes. It's weird for me being the interviewee rather than the interviewer. I feel like I've completely lost control. <laughs> Well, I have a few questions up my sleeve But what I thought might be interesting is we really to look back over the, the pandemic. Obviously, it's presented huge, huge challenges, hasn't it, for, for all of us out there. But just really thinking about the podcast that you've recorded over the pandemic and the conversations that you've had with doctors and other professionals, what would you say the, the overarching challenge themes are? It's really interesting, Sarah, because it's changed. I mean, initially, it was just like, ah. Uh-huh what can we do to help how can we help people survive this massive crisis that we're all going through and it's very much focused on wellbeing you know how to keep yourself well mental health how do you prevent stress and anxiety how do you keep your family safe how do you not spend all your time scrolling through the news feed worrying about what's going to happen how do you cope with with grief and and the trauma of the crisis because uh, certainly for doctors, there was a, a, a lot of grief and trauma and, and guilt and moral injury as well. So certainly looking at that. And and then we started to look at, you know, time because people then become became, after the initial, everything knocks down, they haven't got anything to do. Well, apart from if you're on the front line <laughs> working, but there were a lot of people that, that couldn't work because we couldn't see patients for a little bit apart from on the screen mostly it then became well how do I manage my time in a virtual world how do I cope with the isolation and the lack of connection how do I do it how do I continue to work as a professional and deal with my family and my friends and support everybody and how do I support my team without burning out myself I I noticed that a lot of of leaders were just running around like headless chickens trying to be all things for all people and it, it didn't it didn't go very well for lots of people yeah, so when you look back, you can see the shift, I suppose, across initially that response to, okay, crisis mode, you know, how do we kind of cope with that, what's been thrown at us into then how do you manage your time, how do you manage your resources, how do you look after yourself, how do you look after the team, people around you? And I guess just that that whole sense of, it was a massive transition, wasn't it, in such a short space of time. When you think about the podcast, I and mean, you've had loads of, of amazing, inspiring people on here on the, the podcast. Anything that stands out at you in terms of um, key messages that really landed well for professionals, do you think, during that time? Or- I think that the first key message that landed well, which is one that my, my colleague, um, Caroline Walker, who the joyful doctor, we've done a lot of joint working through COVID. And that's been one of the joys for me over COVID is all the collaborations and things like that that we've done with people like you as well, Sarah, which has been fantastic to have you on the podcast. Caroline was very much talking about, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And I think it's just every time I spoke to her, she's like, right, we've got to normalize this. We've got to normalize this for people. Say, this is what you're experiencing and it's okay. Because I think as healthcare professionals, we don't think it's okay not to be okay. And we don't think it's okay to have feelings and to be finding things difficult. So a lot of it has been about it's okay. It's okay to be struggling right now. And in fact, I not even, it's not just okay, it's normal to be struggling right now. And so a lot of the emphasis has been on the normality of the struggle and what's been going on. And then, you know, some of the other standout things, gosh, there's been so many, but I think the thing that, that listeners seem to appreciate appreciated the most actually is the stuff about getting out of the rescuer mentality and ditching the saviour complex and Handing the Naughty Monkey Back, which is all about not feeling over-responsible for everybody, because I think we really did feel responsible for everybody. And let's face it, in a global pandemic, well, it is it is the healthcare teams that are <laughs> responsible for people. And so in many ways, we, we were, but that can be definitely overplayed. And so it's a lot of the themes have been about helping people create appropriate boundaries in which they can step back and rest and look after themselves in order they can go on and and, and keep caring for other people and I I was quite surprised about how much the the stuff around being a rescuer has really landed with people and and how people didn't really know about that stuff and actually I mean well that shouldn't have really surprised me because I didn't know about it until I until I learned about the drama triangle only a few years ago. And for me, it's like, oh, my goodness. And then you start to look, look through that lens and realize how much you are in rescuer mode and how much you think you are responsible and you should be doing this and you should be doing that. So that's, that's been one of the sort of big surprises for me. Mm. And I think those kind of key messages around normalizing what feels abnormal, so normalizing the struggle, it's really it's been really helpful for people, hasn't it? To, I know in a, a medical protection when we run webinars and we get feedback from people, just for them to know they're not alone has been really powerful. It doesn't change the situation that you're in, but it just really helps to know, yeah, you are not alone in this. I think that's that's really key. But also, like you say, that self-awareness. So thinking about things like the drama triangle, you know, what role we can play. So there's the victim, rescuer, perpetrator, like you say, unless we know about that, we don't recognize what what's happening. And the other thing you said about being over responsible. So, what sort of things were you recognizing, or from what conversations you've had, what sort of things are people being over responsible for? Well, I think people feeling very responsible for their teams and very responsible for the well being of the people they worked with, almost to the point of if then something went wrong for the people that they worked with, feeling it was their fault or feeling that they could do something to make it right, or if someone they, was working, they were working for were having a hard time or, or actually even being a bit difficult or obstructive. They'd be bending over backwards to to make it okay and make everybody happy. And we know that you can't make everybody happy all of the time. You cannot please everybody all of the time. But feeling absolutely awful when you, when you couldn't do this impossible task. And likewise, feeling over-responsible for patience, I guess, in a way, and bending over absolutely backwards to please their patients and to do what the patients needed and to keep the service going. And then when the patients don't get exactly what they want at exactly the time they want and start complaining, feeling absolutely devastated about it, almost like it's, it's a personal criticism, it's my fault, and now they're upset. And, and you know, it's been quite interesting. So I've I've been sort of watching it from a little bit from afar, thinking actually, we're getting incredibly upset about this dreadful media coverage and quite, quite rightly so, you know, with, with the, the way that the public sort of turned from clapping the NHS to then complaining about everybody and saying, you know, accusing GP surgeries of not being open. <laughs> One of our colleagues put on Twitter, he'd examined a patient, this patient was putting on his shirt. The patient turned around to him and said, so when are you going to open? <laughs> like, really? But, you know, pe- people were quite surprised about the angst and very, very upset about it. But I just looked at it and thought, well, of course they're angry and cross. Look what's just happened to them over the last year. It's nothing to do with you. You're, But we take it very personally because we feel responsible. And if we feel responsible and someone moans, then we get very, very upset. If you're not feeling responsible and someone moans, you can then empathise with them and go, yeah, isn't that dreadful? I'm so sorry that you're now stuck down that waiting list and you can't get everything you want done straight away. I'm, re- I'm really sorry, but that's the way the system is. But instead of that, we're going, oh my gosh, this is awful. They shouldn't be saying that and, and working so, so hard to try and meet everybody's needs and, and burning ourselves out without realising that perhaps we do need to put ourselves first in order to be able to provide the service that we want. And that's interesting, isn't it? Recognising the difference perhaps What's going on, I wonder, for people who do feel over-responsible compared to perhaps those who, who don't? Not at all saying so they're not caring for the patients in any way because, But as we sort of said, maybe actually being taking less responsibility for things that are not within your control can actually be helpful. What do you think people who perhaps take over-responsibility for, what do you think they might be telling themselves that means that they, they do that? Well, I think, and you know... <laughs> I can tell you exactly what they're telling themselves because I have these thoughts quite regularly. If no one else does it, who's going to do it? I'm the only person who can do it. It's it's all on me. So there's there's that. If no one else does it, it's it falls to me. Then you've got the deeper level of, and then if it goes wrong, I'm going to look bad. It's going to be my fault. I shouldn't fail. I shouldn't make any mistakes. I've got to be 100% perfect all the time. And sometimes we're telling ourselves, that it's, it's, it's not okay for people to be cross at us. It's not okay for us to be for, well, for, for people to be upset with us. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about this, this whole boundary thing recently, because I did the podcast with, with Rob Bell about having the savior complex. And he just said "Look, you've got to make peace with your limits. And I've been really thinking about what does making peace with your limits actually look like? And one of the things about making peace with your limits is being able to put the boundaries in and then accept the consequences of those boundaries. So I was listening to another really good podcast um, with Glennon Doyle, who's a very famous uh, writer. It's called We Can Do Hard Things. It's, it's a really good podcast. And she was talking about boundaries and she's put up lots of, lots of boundaries. She's had issues with addictions and things in the past. She, she writes all about that. And she said that in the school playground, she doesn't like interacting with lots and lots of people. So she deliberately said, when I go to school, when I go to parents' evening, I'm, deliberate. I'm there for my kids. I'm not really there to interact with other parents. So she sort of just focused on her kids and kept herself to herself. Then her child had an issue, had a problem. And she called one of the other mothers and she said to her, well, you know, they've been having this issue for a year. And she's like, how come you didn't tell me about it? And the mother said, well, I find you quite un- in- unapproachable. And. She said she was devastated by this that this mum found her inapproachable, unapproachable, whatever the word is. She then phoned up her colleague, who said to her, "Okay, so do you do you want to be approached in the playground?" She said, "Well, no, not really." And they said, "Well, congratulations, it's worked. <laughs> you've know, achieved the goal. Yeah, you've achieved it right, but you don't like the consequences of that." And I think that's the problem sometimes. We're like, I don't. I want to have some time and space. I really need a rest. I didn't need to leave work on time. I need my partners to give me a break or whatever. And you put that boundary and you say, this is what I need. And then people might say, well, we don't like that. You know, we don't like that. We want you to, to work an extra session or we want you to work longer, or we want to see you straight away. We don't like the fact that they don't like it. But you know what? That's what making peace with your limits is about. Is, that, is that's, that making any sense? Because is the first time I've actually said this to anyone. That's really helpful, Rachel, because I think what you said there is around importance of setting boundaries in order to kind of manage what you are responsible for and what you're not. But recognise that when you set boundaries, there will be often a negative, well, there's a positive consequence because that's the protecting yourself consequence, isn't it? That you do set the boundary because you need to protect yourself but yet there'll be a negative consequence often because other people will push against those boundaries. Um, often say, don't we in parenting, it's your job as a parent to set the limits. It's the child's job to push against the limit, but your job to hold that fast. And I think you know that's that's often really helpful to kind of keep in keep in mind, but it's true when we set a boundary in terms of what we will and won't allow in our lives or what we can and can't give. Other people don't like that boundary necessarily, but it's they say not taking it personally in that way, I think is really important. I was reading something the other day that said about, the importance of setting boundaries and staying connected and you said and you talked about that earlier when you were saying about empathizing with somebody who maybe found it hard to get an appointment to the gps for example so you've set a boundary and then the person will perhaps push back against it and i think the important thing to do then is to empathize with that resistance without giving in to the boundary whereas i know it's very tempting sometimes to when somebody pushes against the boundary to distance because it's so unpleasant to to see the consequence and actually rather than distancing it's how to stay connected but not giving in i don't know what you think about that oh i, lo- I love that concept yeah so empathize and but hold the boundary i'm so i'm so sorry i can't see you for a couple of weeks you know i really hope things go okay and there's always the other options if if, if you need if you need that i get it top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not slash quiz yeah and i think with the boundaries we are such well i'd like i was gonna say people pleasers but that's that sounds really derogatory we're not people pleasers we're actually hardwired to want connection and to want belonging into a group So this. Being accepted and being liked by the gang is actually an existential thing for us. So it, it's not so sappy to be a people pleaser. It's actually what our brains are looking for. But we just need to accept that we are, like I said, we can't please people all the time. And when people push against it, we don't like it. And then what happens is, even though it's not personal, we make it personal because it then hits on some of our deepest insecurities so if you say no to someone or you can't work any longer then it's like oh maybe I'm not a good doctor maybe I'm let maybe I'm lazy because the last thing I want to be is lazy and you start thinking oh crumbs maybe that's it and then we start with the the shoulding and the oughting and then something else I've been reading recently is this whole indoctrination about we what we should and what we ought to do and I think as doctors we have a huge amount of indoctrinated thinking about what we should be like as a doctor we should always go the second mile we should always make the care of our patient our first concern as we know it says in gmc duties of a doctor and of course we should you know always well it's interesting i'd like to know what you think about this of course you need to keep patients safe but does always putting the patient first mean we stay three hours late when they could have waited another week. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it's not an easy answer to give. I suppose in terms of hard and fast guidance to that, but I think it's each situation will be different. Winter, but I suppose it's always weighing that up and thinking rather than I should do that. It's thinking in some situations, yes, we should respond to an emergency. We should respond to things that can't wait. But just sort of slightly sidestepping that, I guess I'm thinking. If I catch myself saying, I should do something, I'm learning to just challenge that thought and thinking, well, I could do that because I'm choosing to do this. And so, you know, sometimes you think, well, I could see that extra patient because I'm choosing to see them now because I want to check with myself, you know, that that actually they haven't got a serious condition. Or, you know, I could actually say no to that because I'm choosing whatever else I'm, I'm choosing. I'm just kind of challenging that should and thinking, I could and I'm choosing. And it was like yes and no. If I say yes to that, what am I saying no to? And if I say no to that, what am I saying yes to? And recognising that that choice. But I think it's not easy, is it, to to set those boundaries in those situations. Yeah. It's really not. I was gonna say, I've also had this concept recently called Hippocratic Oath shaming. Well, tell me more about that. Well, I just read it. I can't remember where I read it, so apologies if I've nicked it off somebody. <laughs> but it was about how sometimes We use the Hippocratic Oath to shame ourselves and our colleagues. Like, actually, doctors should care for people. They should be completely selfless. They should be like this. They should be that. We completely overdo it. And that's where we we circle back to the sort of saviour-rescuer complex. Because when we think we should do that, we we then think we're the only people can do that. And we should be caring for the patients rather than the patients actually caring for themselves and taking some responsibility for themselves. I think you can apply that to our teams and our colleagues as well. Like as a leader in healthcare, often we think, right, I'm the only one that can sort this out for my team. Well, actually they've got responsibility to sort stuff out for themselves as well. Yeah. I think a lot of what you're saying now, now really resonates with me in terms of the work that I've done when I've been coaching doctors in the past. And you often getting to like their core, they say core self-beliefs. And so people often have, you know, from growing up, from experiences either at home or at school or in early adult life, kind of a core self belief, as in "I'm not good enough." And things you were talking about before about when you get complained, you know, "Well, I'm I'm so incompetent." There's like a core self belief which rears its head sometimes, doesn't it? And it's triggered off by either somebody who is angry or somebody who's upset with you, or someone's anxious around you. It can trigger off that sort of core self belief, and I think often we're not really aware of how that underlying Belief about ourselves is still often driving the bus in terms of our behavior and, and our thinking. And it could be quite freeing often, kind of, to get to the bottom of that sometimes and recognize, you know, when that comes up and actually how true is that really? Because I think that also drives a lot of the shoulds and oughts, because I'm trying to do those things in order to avoid feeling not good enough. I'm, I'm doing those things because I don't want to feel that I'm rejected. And it, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I I was reflecting on this recently. So I had this patient who came and sat down. I'd never seen her before, right? So I to her in. She sat down and she said, I don't know what I'm doing here, to be honest. I've never seen a doctor who's any effing good, and you'll be no effing good either. Right. No, there you go. Uh, You know what? It didn't really bother me. I mean, obviously, it was rude. I was like, okay, very rude woman. But it didn't. Cut me to the core because I'd never seen her before. Right? She had nothing to say about if I was any good as a doctor. Yeah, she had no that. experience with me, so I could just go, okay, that's obviously your issues, nothing to do with me. Now, if I'd had, if that same patient had come in six months later, sat down and gone, well, you you are no effing good. That would have been, even if I'd done my best and brilliant medicine with her, I would have been really upset. It would have really cut me to the core because perhaps deep down there is a. Belief that maybe I I'm not as good as I could be, and I haven't kept up to date as much as I could have done, and maybe I'm not as empathetic as I could be. So, yeah, the, the stronger our our limiting beliefs are, the more things are going to touch a raw nerve and bang on that bang on that nerve when people say things, and then the more we'll react to it, and the more more defensive we are. And maybe that is what's been going on with. You know patients accusing us of not being open and not not seeing them maybe that's a bit of a raw nerve because we're not able to gps aren't able to see patients in the way that they would want to they don't like that, and then when a patient accuses them of not doing that, it's even worse you know, and people aren't able to spend as much time doing stuff as they would want to, and then we're, you know so it just it just all goes with spirals just spirals mm. it's so difficult and it's 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 changing those those limiting beliefs about yourself that's difficult to do actually it's really hard isn't it but I think the first step is being aware of it I think that's the the first step because once we're aware of something we have a choice as to whether we still believe that about ourselves and I think it's helpful to think you know, where did this come from maybe that was true then you know it was a misinterpretation perhaps of, it, of something that happened when I was younger but actually you no know, where's the evidence against that sometimes that's helpful to think what else you can see that really goes against that, and then it's also recognizing there's often anxiety behind a lot of it. So I think a lot of the behaviour it doesn't excuse it of, of patients, you know, saying things that are really unpleasant. But a lot of it is anxiety on their on their part, isn't it? And so it's again, which it comes back to where we can stay connected and empathise, as you said, but hold fast to those boundaries as best we can. So we've talked quite a lot about the rescuer sort of mode, haven't we? I mean, the other part of the drama triangle is is the sort of victim mode, isn't it? And so. Any any key messages or anything that's come out sort of conversations you've had or your experience over the pandemic that you can use as helpful helpful wisdom for people who might have find themselves in that victim mode? I think it's always really dangerous <laughs> to start talking about the victim mode because I would hate anybody to think I was saying that they were acting like a victim in, in these really really hard hard circumstances. But I think what doctors can have, and I've noticed this in other professionals too, is is sort of learned helplessness that nothing is ever going to change and I just have to suck it up and I have no choice. And when you start to think like that, you then start to feel like a victim. And the, the victim mentality is very much, I have no choice. I have to do this. I can't change anything. I'm completely powerless. And a lot of what I've been doing in my work, that I've been doing either with one-to-one coaching or, or working with teams and training and, and, and through the podcast, actually, is absolutely asking people, what are you in control of? what could you change? Because I, I think we have control issues. We either try and control too much that we can't control. Like for example, patient demand. I really don't think we can control patient demands. I think that is a much higher pay grade than, than, than ours, a different, different level altogether. Can I control what patients think of me? No. Can I control what's going on in my team's personal lives? No. Can I control what they think of me? No what can I do? Right. So I can make some choices for myself. And once I start thinking about could I do, what could I do differently? That is when I become a little bit more powerful. And that's when you start to step, step out of the victim mode. And I guess that's what the whole You Are Not Frog podcast is about. Really. It's like, what are the small things that we can actually do? And it is, it's really hard because one of the things that I am very, very conscious of is resilience, victim blaming so with the whole resilience well-being industry and training and stuff it can sometimes be seen as right the system yeah the system's difficult but the problem is with you you're just not resilient enough Mm -hmm. so what we're going to do is just give you a bit of training make you resilient to cope with it and it's your fault and I 100% disagree with that it's not your fault however I also believe that there are skills that you can learn to make it to make it better someone gave me a really good analogy of this the other day it's like resilience is not being repeatedly punched in the face (laughs) it's not teaching someone to put up with being punched in the face it's teaching people what they can do to avoid being punched in the face and and for me that's what taking control and resilience training is all about is is what can you do for yourself while other stuff also happens to work on the system in 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 which we work and. It's really important to be addressing the system in which we work and changing things. But as, a, as, as one human being, you can only do what you can do. Sure. You can only look after yourself. So, so I think with the whole getting out of victim mentality, looking at what are you in control of and where are you overstepping your control, trying to control what you can't, and wh- where are you not using your choices? Because we, we always have a choice, and this is something that's really hard to get hold of. In fact uh, a coach I was talking to she took it to the extreme she said she was doing a talk and, and and she did this whole thing about control what you control of what you what aren't you and you've always got a choice and someone came up to her the end and then he said I don't have any I don't have a choice well I didn't have a choice I'm South African and in my day you had compulsory conscription to the army at age 18 said I, I had to go in the army I had no choice and she said well what would have happened if he didn't go in? She said. He said, "Well, I'd have gone to jail." She said, "That's your choice: jail or conscription." Now, that is a horrible choice, right? He didn't like that choice. There was that choice, and mostly, mostly, we have a choice about stuff. There are some situations which are awful, and you know that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about mm. daily, daily work situations. So, you know, when you leave. You do actually have a choice, but you might be choosing to leave work undone or to leave certain things and that will have consequences. But it's like, what, what consequences are you prepared to put up with? And yeah. what are you not prepared? It's like you said, if you start to then use the language, well, I choose to do that letter and see that patient so that I won't have to do it on the other day or so that they are safe. So that that's much more powerful than I've got to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think what you're talking about there is empowering people, isn't it? So normalising that it's really understandable to feel sometimes that we are a victim in the situation that we're in because it feels like a lot of things are being done to us as GPs or in the medical profession. But then it's actually that that doesn't tend to take us to a place of of feel, feeling empowered, does not it when we start really sort of going down that spiral? So instead, stopping and thinking, okay, this is all happening to me, around me. But as you say, what can I do to empower myself? coming back to that choice around I'm choosing to do this because I want this, recognising that, yeah, there's always that, that, that two-way option I think is really, really helpful. What do you think, I mean, there's, for many people, they, they get stuck in making positive change and, and maintaining that positive change and kind often end up sort of self-sabotaging. I don't know. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Mm, self-sabotaging. How do we self-sabotage? Oh, I, I don't know. I'm not a real expert on this whole self-sabotage and I'm sure there are some deep psychological reasons why sometimes we do it. I think the biggest way that professional self-sabotage is just by taking on too much. So you start off with good intentions, you know, I'm going to do this, and then this other thing comes in and you say yes, and this other thing comes in and you say yes and soon you haven't got any time to do that thing that you said you were going to do and then it's just impossible to do it, and then you don't feel successful at anything. So I think that's that that's one of the the main things the main messages that come out from any sort of talk I tend to do is actually you need to do less you need to start saying saying no to stuff so that you can do a few things well and once you start to say no to stuff and you start to limit stuff and you start to well a lot of it's actually staying in your zone of power because a lot of the time we just can't do everything and I've been working with a few PCN directors recently and a lot of them are saying, how do I do this and that? And it's all out of their control. And and off, a lot of the time, it's just recognising that that's out of your control. So what can you do with what you've got? Mm-hmm. And then just leave the rest of the stuff. And by leaving the rest of the stuff, you actually become much more powerful because then you can focus on what you can control. Yeah. So I think we, I think that is one of the ways we self-sabotage, is by beating ourselves up about the stuff that we, we can't do because we have no control over yeah and actually, like I said, becoming overwhelmed as a result. So it comes back again to that focused intention. And I think being intentional about what is in front of you now, I sort of say, just do the next thing, meaning be intentional about the next thing, rather than, I think, spreading ourselves so thin, because there's often a multitude of tasks that need our attention. And I think there was often that sense of dissatisfaction because we can't do it all and feel like we've done it all well. So there is that sense of, again, just stopping and and Taking stock, I think, and thinking, right, what's the most important thing right now? Prioritizing that needs my attention. And how to how to do that? We've talked quite a bit around, I suppose, boundaries and saying no. And I think saying no can be a real challenge for for many people in the caring professions. Any other tips around how to say no? Well, so we've sort of said about starting boundaries and kind of sticking to your boundaries, but sometimes it could start before that in terms of what stops people saying no. I don't know if you've had any conversations with people, in podcasts that have been really helpful. I think that the bigger tip to people saying no is themselves it's the stories that they're telling themselves in their head and i think it's quite hard but i think because i do talk about the amygdala a lot the amygdala being your threat detection system that will detect a physical threat hierarchical threat or a group threat so the belonging threat because when we lived in caves if the the tribe didn't like us and we got chucked out we'd probably die of exposure or be eaten by a bear or both so we really hate saying no to people because that might upset them. They might think badly of us and they might throw us out of the, the, the cave and we might then die of exposure. And so when someone asks us to do something, unbeknownst to us, our amygdala can suddenly go, oh, no, hang on, hang on, you've got to say yes to it because if you say no, that's going to be really dangerous and yeah, it'd probably be quite good to do it and you really ought to do it and you know, you'd be a really bad doctor if you weren't doing that. And, and, and who do you think you are and blah, 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 blah. So you've got these stories in your head that putting you, you into your, you know, your sympathetic nervous system fight, flight or freeze thing and you find yourself going, Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine, I'll do it. Just to leave it discomfort sometimes. Yeah. Just because yeah. it's much easier to say yes than to say a firm no. So I guess my the, the biggest tip I've got for saying no is give yourself a pause. Right. When you're in that situation, hit the pause button, just have a phrase, have something you can say to say, can I get back to you? I need to think about that. Sounds great can I get back to you? I need to check my diary. Let me have a think. I'd love love to say yes, but I just need to make sure I can actually properly say yes and got the time. Give yourself that pause. Then go wait till you're out of your sympathetic zone. Calm yourself down. Think about it. Do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? Am I the right person to do this? Do I have the time to do this? (laughs) One thing we talk about all the time in our Caroline and I run a Permission to Thrive CPD webinar membership community for doctors. One of our mottos is it's either a hell yeah or it's a no. (laughs) They're like, we've got all these opportunities. It's either going to be hell yeah, I'm going to do that. If it's a, yeah, that sounds okay, then that's a no. That's a no. Go for the hell yeahs, avoid the, that might be quite a good idea, but take the pause in order to think about it. And sometimes it's also then easier to say no in an email or by text or something like that. I mean, that sounds like a bit, bit of a cop-out, but actually, you know, you can just say, no, I'm sorry. And also I would say to people, don't explain. Don't explain too much. Don't say, I'm, I'm really sorry, I can't, because I, I just really need a break this week and I really can't go out for another, another night and I've got to see the dog and blah. Just go, I'm so sorry, I can't do it. Yep. So I think those are really helpful tips because it is something that it takes practice to kind of get used to doing, doesn't it? Say no, there's a, and I can't remember where this came from, but I remember it quite well. An ACTS acronym, so A-C-T-S. So for saying no, so A was acknowledge the request. So saying, okay, so what you're asking me to do is X, Y, Z. C is clarify. So just clarify the request to make sure that you have got it right because we can misunderstand the request. And T is transform. So that might be possibly saying, I'll get back to you you know, at late, a so later day, but it could also be transform it into, well, I can't help you with that this time. But if you find yourself in a similar situation in three months' time, let me know if that's, if that's something you would be willing to do. So transform it some way or sometimes without d- jumping someone else in it, it. might be actually, I know someone else who would really love to do that. And you could transform it into recommending somebody else, but you have to be careful about that one. And then S is making a suggestion sometimes for an alternative. And that's quite helpful sort of framework I think of of, you know how to how to structure your no but I think the most important thing is give yourself time especially if you're somebody who is a knee jerk yes yes I think is really helpful my my problem is I say yes to things because I genuinely want to do them (laughs) and I'm really interested yeah that'd be good yeah 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 and then I come back and oh no what did I what did I commit to and another principle that I think is really helpful is say yes to the person and no to the task Mm. it's like oh I'd love to help you that sounds really interesting project wow you know. That's, you know, I'm really sorry. I don't think that I can do that. It sounds great. And if I could happen any other way, great, let me know type thing. So you're really affirming the person. You're just saying no, no to the task. Because often we feel we're saying no to the person, but we're not. We're just saying no to the, the thing. So that comes back to the boundary again. So you set, you're setting no as a boundary, but you're remaining connected by saying yes to the person. So I think <gasps> totally. that, that reinforces that concept, doesn't it? Yeah. Gosh, it's almost like we plan these conversations. <laughs> Well, just thinking back then, what what do you think people now might do differently at the start of the pandemic, if we were going back in time, with what they know now? So think about perhaps leaders. It's a hard one, that one, to sort of speak generally, but I don't know, what, what do you think people might do dif- might do differently at the start if they knew what they knew now? I think perhaps plan, it, plan that you're in it for the long haul. I think we thought it's going to be a pandemic. don't know how it's dreadful it's going to be and then it's going to be over we're going to go back to normal it's an interesting one I think setting some goals for their team that were more around workload well-being and resilience it's obviously important to keep physically safe at at any time but I think there wasn't enough emphasis on how we're gonna long-term sustain ourselves rather than short-term sustain ourselves and I think there, you know I was talking to the national leadership it would be much more communication with patients around what is possible and what what isn't possible and what the role of the doctor is and I think I would want leaders to be able to say to their teams this is okay it's okay to say no to stuff it's okay to set boundaries and prioritize their work a little bit more so people weren't weren't feeling just so so snowed under with it and and just help help doctors know they're doing an absolutely fantastic job mm. and just to hang on in there and and it's okay to look after yourselves and put those boundaries in I, th- I think we know that but the thing I'd really like people to know is when people kick against your boundaries that's okay it means they're working so let's let's celebrate that rather than get really upset about it yeah so from there, Rachel, if I'm going to turn the tables and say, what's your three top tips for your listeners this week then? Yeah, I think, well, from everything we've, we've talked about, I think, first of all, recognize when you've got that sort of rescuer complex, that superhero complex, when you're thinking no one else can do it, it's all down to me. And that's difficult because one of the things I did want to say earlier was I do recognize that when you're a partner, when you're sort of running the show, when when you might be the only person there, it's even harder when that has an element of truth to it. but you. You need to, sometimes, and this is really hard to say, if you're continually absorbing the stuff and doing it yourself, then no one else is seeing that there's a need or a problem. And so no one else is able to fix it if you're the one that's fixing it all the time. So you're just hiding, hiding, hiding the problem. And I think, according to the Jeremy Hunt report, it it was not the House of Commons report into the well-being of healthcare staff. There was a comment in there that, healthcare staff in, in the NHS in health and social care, they absorb so much extra work that they're not paid for that if at any point they stopped doing it, the entire system would collapse. It's all that extra absorbing. yeah, It's the extra absorbing. And I think doctors have been doing all that extra absorbing. But the problem is they're collapsing, not the system. We don't want anything to collapse. So that there's, got, there's got to be alternatives. but maybe we need to be Having those boundaries and saying, actually, no, no that's it. And, and push the problem up so that actually change has to happen. That was my first tip, I think, with probably about four different tips. The second one is work out what your boundaries are and then don't get upset when, when people don't like them. When you enforce them and people react badly because that's their problem, not yours. And then thirdly would be about this whole taking things personally. That Check the stories that are going on in your head check what limiting beliefs you have about yourself that things are triggering and then question them. Is, is, is that true? And one way to question them is just get together with with some friends. And I think that's probably the other thing I would say to people in the pandemic, like get your gang around you right now. Know who your team are. Regularly connect with them. You know, if if you're locked down, go on Zoom. If you're not locked down, go out into it for a walk as soon as you can go out, sit around a fire pit, have a drink and compare notes. Just get out and, and connect with with your team. Not people that are gonna suck the life out of you all the time, but people that really get it that can support you. Cause like you said, knowing that you're in the same boat as someone else doesn't remove your problems, but somehow it makes it sort of easier, easier to cope with it. Yeah. Yeah, those are really helpful tips. Thank you, Rachel. Well thank you for letting me Talk with you today and turn the tables, as I said, and uh, hope that's been helpful for people. Just to look back, and then also taking, you know, your wisdom, your reflections, your insights. I think taking it forwards, um, recognizing it's, you know, that's that whole thing about the, the marathon, sort of not a sprint. Analogy is really helpful. I think, like you said, about making peace with your limits. That that really resonated with me, and also this sense of pace and balance it doesn't feel like we have a lot of control over pace and a lot of control over getting the balance. So again, it's just looking for those two things. You know, what in, my, in the pace of things, what can I just slow down a bit? And in the balance, what do I need to perhaps increase in order to give me some restoration, just some time off, some a sense of better balance? Because I think a lot of people are feeling that there isn't that balance there. So I guess one small shift that moves you in that direction. And that's what made me think about when you were talking through those things. Or yeah, certainly, thank Oh, you Sarah, Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for asking me those difficult, difficult questions. Well, welcome. yeah. <laughs> so I hope that's been useful for, for, for people listening. We'd love to know people's thoughts. Actually, and I think we should get, get you back, Sarah. I think we could um, maybe take people's questions about any of this, and I'll, I'll collect them. Or we'll get you back, and we we'll maybe go through them and answer them. How would that be? Yeah, that sounds great. Look forward to that. Brilliant. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.